Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. Welcome to this episode of Find Your Hum with me, Kirsty Taylor. I'm doing something a little bit different today. I'm actually recording this intro sat in the middle of the most gorgeous field underneath the most beautiful tree. So hopefully you will hear some birds in the background because they are absolutely gorgeous. Um, But you might also get a little bit of wind. So hopefully that is not too annoying. So today I'm actually joined by Anthony Hartcher from Me and My Wellness. Anthony and I studied together, but our friendship really grew when I proudly wore my Roosters jersey into class one day. From that moment on, he knew I was a sports fan and we did a lot of talking about league. When we were deciding what to talk about during our chat today, Anthony suggested managing stress during uncertain times as a possible podcast topic that we could talk about. I absolutely jumped at the chance to talk to him about this. Anthony is an absolute wealth of knowledge in this area. He undoubtedly practices what he preaches, but Anthony has also worked with corporates and he really helps their staff optimize wellness during times of change, which are often uncertain times. Now, no matter where in the world you are at the moment, whether you are sort of well on your way out of lockdown or just emerging, this has been a period of uncertainty and fear like we really have never seen before. As Anthony so rightly puts it during this episode, this drove an unprecedented amount of stress into society for which we haven't really had coping mechanisms for. Anthony shares with us the reasons the COVID outbreak and the subsequent lockdown could have seen your stress increase, how that affects us physically and mentally, and of course some of the ways in which we can manage this stress. I think you'll also find Anthony's path to nutrition really interesting. I know I certainly did because this is not something that I'd actually chatted to Anthony about before. Like I said, Anthony has a wealth of knowledge and practice in this area and I'm sure you will all find something very tangible to take away and put into practice, not just now but really during any of those uncertain times that arise in our lives. And don't forget, if you loved this episode Take a screenshot of your phone, tag me on Instagram at the nourishing way underscore so I know that you've listened to it and loved it. Okay, let's dive into this chat with Anthony. What was Anthony like as a teenager? Like what kind of things was he into? What did he do? Where did he grow up? Give us a little bit of a background into what made you who you are today. Yeah, sure. I uh, grew up on the Central Coast in New South Wales, Australia. And the Central Coast, for those that have never been there, is it's, it's like a countryside, um, but on the coast. Um, so it's, God's country, isn't it? Let's face yeah. it. So I'm also from there. <laughs> so you're also from there. So uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's, uh, mind you, it's, it's become very um, developed over the years, certainly yeah. since I grew up. Because I was at Wombrel, which is right near the beach, I very much became 
beach oriented, very into surfing, very much into surf club and nippers and was very active. Uh, I loved running, loved competing, loved playing any sport actually. Sport was everything and I lived on five acres at Wombrel and it was just amazing having all the bush and the trees and go out and explore and play and I constantly lived outside and rarely spent much time indoors. So I certainly was very much out and about in the sun getting sunburnt, which was a thing <laughs> that we did at that time. <laughs> it yep. wasn't a lot of sun cream. It was coming home with blisters and getting in trouble. <laughs> but, but yeah, very much just love being outside in the outdoors with nature, whether it be surfing, whether it be playing in the park, playing football, kicking a football, riding a bike. It was just outdoors activity and nonstop. Uh, yeah, oh, really that's... didn't. Didn't embrace school at all. Um, <laughs> I, I was, why, why would you? And you had all that to do. That sounds like yeah, heaven. Was, I didn't like it. I, and I, as, as a result, I didn't do too well at school. So um, it was, yeah, it was all about sport. It was all about activity and just loved it. Oh, that sounds uh, amazing. Did you have the um, long blonde surfy hair that I know all the um, surfies like to have on the Central Coast? Well, yeah, so a brunette. Uh, but it would go very light brown. Yeah. Uh, so, and there'll be tinges of blondes in that. <laughs> so, yeah, it did get very bleached, sun bleached. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and very ragged, you know, with the salt water and not washing it. <laughs> it became <laughs> sort of that dre- dready sort of. <laughs> it's like almost like a rite like. of passage, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, but that was very much that my upbringing was very yeah outdoorsish and active, just active boy and just loved uh, loved playing really. Oh, that sounds like an absolute dream. Like growing up, that sounds amazing. So we met at uni, so we were both there doing natural health studies. Um, but I know I had a life before diving into the natural health world. So what did your life look like before this, and how did you? end up with us both sitting in that classroom together last year in at at Endeavour. My first degree was in chemical engineering and you know I went through those teenage years and didn't get good marks and ended up you know studying a bachelor of science at Newcastle Uni and then I always wanted to do something more than science and ended up uh, swapping to engineering at UNSW and doing chemical engineering so uh, post-chemical engineering, worked for a chemical company called Orica and did my whole corporate career there. So since grad, you know, I started as a graduate engineer and went on the grad program and did various roles with Orica, uh, technical roles in a laboratory, formulating explosives, playing around with formulations, going out to the army range, blowing up the explosive, <laughs> measuring the velocity of detonation <laughs> with five like, It's like a boy's dream. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> so, uh, it was always interesting uh, dinner conversation telling people what I do, and it was. It was, um, you know, and that took me to all parts of the world or all parts of Australia, let alone all parts of the world, just these Plus, you would never go to um, as a tourist because uh, there'd be no reason to go there. And so you'd go to these just amazing places that had mines and whether it be way down deep underground or 
you know, there was like kilometres underground and then I went to a mine near Papua New Guinea between the border of Indonesia and Papua New Guinea that was at 4,000 metres. So that's twi- twice Mount Kosciuszko. So essentially we, we, our base camp was at Mount Kosciuszko, so at 2,000 metres, and then we'd travel up to the 4,000 every day to... Um, work and up at that level you get altitude sickness so that yeah. was an experience in itself uh so i could you know continued just doing various roles whether it be you know as i sort of started technical and then went into more sales so went into account management and really enjoyed the customer interface and solving customer problems so i mm-hmm. that was what I really became passionate about more so than the technical side of things was actually solving customer problems and serving the customer. So I really loved that customer facing role. But from there I got promoted into marketing roles and it sort of took me more into the behind the scenes and into the politics of organizations. And I got too much into the politics and of the organization and, and it wasn't fulfilling. And what I loved was being out, out and about, out customer sites, solving their problems, helping them. And I figured, well, I love that. Uh, but the other element, which I mentioned when I was a teenager, was being active and outdoors and sporty and loved physical activity and being healthy. So I decided to look at what could bring the two together and it was, I was living in New Zealand at the time and someone said, oh, you should go and see this naturopath. You know, he's really into the stuff you're into. And I, I didn't even know what a naturopath was at the time. And, but me being curious and me open, I just, yeah, why not? So I'd go and visit this naturopath. Had, had nothing wrong with me, but <laughs> just went and saw this naturopath. Uh, and they said, how can I help you? And I said, you know, I, I'm, at the time I was training for an Ironman. I said, look, you know, training up for an Ironman, never done an Ironman before. Maybe you could help me with um, what I eat for an Ironman. <laughs> I don't got no idea. Um, and so we had this incredible consult, um, just looking holistically at it and talking about science of why I should be eating this and not this. And I became really curious and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I actually enjoy what he's, you know, he's educating me on and, so then he was running a seminar on the power of food and that was a few weeks later. And so I went to his seminar on the power of food and I thought, now this is awesome, empowering others on how to eat well and, I, and stuff that I didn't know about at the time and was learning a lot and I thought you know, I could see myself doing this. But that didn't translate into action. It sort of sowed the seed and I continued on with my career and eventually ended back in Australia doing another role with this same company and I was seeing a chiropractor at the time and the chiropractor said oh you should go along to this seminar we're hosting a seminar and it's this famous naturopath talking about health and I thought yeah I'll I'll go along because I met this naturopath in New Zealand and long and behold it happened to be the naturopath I met in New Zealand was now in Australia (laughs) (laughs) giving this talk and again it was on the power of food and um and then he was up on stage and this time in a much bigger crowd and really engaging them. And, you know, I was fascinated and I loved his energy and loved his passion and loved his story and thought, I, this is me. I've got to do this. And that just took, from that point on, I took action. I actually 
you know, caught up with him afterwards and uh, got his number. And then I remember being in Perth. I was at a conference for work and uh, he was super busy as a naturopath. And uh, I said, oh, what time can we meet up? He said, oh, you bring me at 6 a.m. on my way to work. He was in Melbourne. I'm in Perth. And that was 4 a.m. for oh. me. So <laughs> I dragged myself out of bed and I... Um, yeah, I, I called him at 4am my time in Perth and uh, we had a chat and it just that just then set the wheels in motion. And I said, oh, you know, which is the best college? You know, where should I get, where should I study? I don't know, I've got no idea where to start. And he said, I, oh, you know, go to Endeavour. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, we had a little chat and he's been a mentor ever since and that's hence how I met you, Kirsty, yep. was uh, <laughs> through that journey. <laughs> but in saying that, I, I've met you many years after I started because I actually started studying naturopathy because of his influence and then um, switched to nutrition uh, after I finished complementary medicine. So anyway, that's I, I think I met you when I was doing nutrition, uh, yep. but I did do two full years of uh, naturopathy. Wow. We, um, I think we were both in our, almost our last year by the time we met. So, yeah, we both had been there a little bit of time before our paths had crossed. Yeah, 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 because it, it was incredible because you are doing part-time study and I was doing part-time study and how yep. much you could just miss each other because what works for you doesn't work for me. I think you're commuting from the Central Coast and I was living in Sydney, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. Uh, we'd sort of. I think was it the energetics of um, food. Yes, was it was. Separate? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And you're wearing your rooster jersey. <laughs> <laughs> of course, just to stir everyone up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it works every time. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, it does because uh, I was passionate about Parramatta eels, and uh, yep. we, we yeah we hit it off on uh, NRL and talking footy. And so our friendship began. <laughs> Yes, it did. There's a couple of points I loved out of that story. And it was that even though, and I think this is like so important for maybe like a younger generation to realise that you, as you've said, didn't nail school. Um, so you went and even though you knew you wanted to do something like a Bachelor of um, Chemical Engineering, you didn't let your grades stop you doing that. So you went via the other route and did a sort of went into a bachelor of science first. And I just think that is so important for, I suppose not even young kids, but even anyone of any age that, you know, if you have that kind of dream or desire to do something, there are definitely other ways around it than maybe the quote unquote conventional straight path. So I I loved that you shared that because I thought that was, um, yeah, really quite important. Absolutely. Like I could have looked at my HSC year and saw it as complete failure. Like, I, you know, I failed English outright. I, I was turning up to exams and hadn't read the novel. So <laughs> there was no chance I was going to pass English. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, yeah, I, I, I've always had that outlook on life. You know, I always, if someone says no, I always keep going until I get an answer of what I want and the yes. And, and it, it drove me to uh, like the only university I could get into. And the only thing I was interested in was, you know, science at Newcastle Uni. And, but I knew that wasn't a, a university with a great reputation and I was inspiring to get into UNSW. So I worked hard in my first year at Newcastle to get into UNSW and to actually get into something that uh, well, my dad would be proud of, and that was chemical engineering, because he thought I was, 
I'd make a good engineer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it also goes to show that when you love something, like obviously your passion wasn't reading books for English, but you had that kind of passion for science. So yes, it was probably easier to nail that first year of uni rather than your yes. last year of high school. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because the English was compulsory and it was a big drag on me. And yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right. Was, I finally got doing something I loved and then eventually did something that I really loved and couldn't stop studying it. I'm you know, still studying it today as we do. Such a good message. I've actually got you on today to talk about something else I know that you're super passionate about, not just blowing things up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it is actually very relevant in life today, like in the situation that we're in with having been thrown into this coronavirus lockdown style situation, and that is managing stress in uncertain times. So why do you feel that we need to, I suppose, Many stress is always important, but why particularly so during uncertain times? It's a really good question. There's two key pillars of strong mental health and the first one being autonomy. Uh, So we're obviously humans and able to choose and choose a life that we want to live. And with COVID-19, the government, you know, took a course of action, which was in the best interest of us as a society uh, to put in restrictions and to, you know, for us to physical distance and isolate. And, and that very much, for a lot of people, was stripping them of this autonomy, this ability to choose what they wanted to do. And, and, and in our time, certainly in, certainly in my generation and yours, Kirsty. We've never experienced anything like this. Uh, you know, we didn't live through the wars um, where, you know, people were conscripted to go to war and told to do these things. Uh, so we've had a fairly, you know, you could say great upbringing of freedom uh, mm-hmm. to do what we want. And this event certainly knocked that for six. Uh, it was telling us what to do, telling us who, who had a job, who didn't have a job. And that was extremely stressful. Um, so, it, you know, that not only stripping autonomy, but the other thing was also the huge amount of uncertainty. Uh, we, in our times, haven't lived through such huge amount of uncertainty as to not knowing when's it going to finish and how long's it going to go on for. And so that certainly put a lot of fear into, you know, us as a, as a society uh, and the media certainly encouraged that fear and, you know, was thriving off the fear and publishing lots of stories about how severe it was and all the deaths and, you know, so people were bombarded with huge amounts of media and, you know, just really driving in this fear and, you know, the positive side of that was that it made, made people take the action that the government wanted them to take, which is mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, but it was really affecting our mental health very early on in terms of driving that very much that fight, flight, um, freeze response, uh, which is that stress response we have. And uh, that, you know, was because of the fear and the uncertainty. Uh, The other pillar of mental health that was really uh, affected was that pillar of social connection we are social beings um we get a lot of um 
happiness and a lot of motivation, a lot of drive and, you know, through interaction, uh, you know, as, as we're aware that, you know, lots of positive hormones are released through human connection and interaction. And that, again, was somewhat, uh, you know, not really totally taken away from us, but in, you know, for those living by themselves, absolutely, when they had to self-isolate, they really had to self-isolate. And, uh, yeah, so that lack of human connection, uh, lack of autonomy and the fear and uncertainty really just drove huge amounts of um, stress into society. Uh, and unprecedented stress, um, something that we'd never experienced before and really didn't have great coping mechanisms for it. Um, so no. we're very much really the blind leading the blind because all, all the people that were, I guess, leading the way hadn't lived through one themselves, um, but were going off how history managed it and what we learned from history and prior experiences and and enacting plans that they had in place, uh, but I don't know how well up to date they were. But anyway, there was lots of different viewpoints as to how we'd manage this. And so I guess us as citizens are looking back and observing these leaders and thinking, do they really know what they're doing? And that also <laughs> creates some more further stress. And um, so that's, I guess, the stress side of this event is very much driven from that, you know, uncertainty uh you know lack of experience and not knowing what to do lack of autonomy lack of social connection uh and we're still encountering elements of this uh so you know even though we're here in australia we've you know we're going on to less restrictions um we're there's still people that are still stuck in that initial fright phase you know mm -hmm. and they haven't been able to successfully move out of that they're still really fearful you know they call them the germaphobes uh, so the germaphobes are just more stressed than ever um, uh, and then you've got those early adopters that are sort of thinking yeah this is great we're coming out of this and really getting out and about doing what they can but then you've got those ones that are more cautious and so everyone's at a different part of this like a acceptance journey and um, adaptation journey um, during this whole event. So I think, you know, it's important to acknowledge that, that we're all in different phases of coping with it. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, so I think that's an important thing to note as well as, you know, and, and then the stress is still there for some people in a huge way and for others not so much. Uh, so that's another you know, thing that we do need to consider that, you know, everyone we interact with are gonna, is going to be at a different point of um, how well they're adapted to this situation uh, and how well they're coping and there'll be others that are still not coping and haven't really adapted and haven't really accepted the situation. Yeah, that makes it quite difficult too, especially as we start to interact with people again and being quite mindful of where people are at on that journey, isn't it? Yeah, and I think to that point, and I think it was the second part of your question is, you know, how do we, what happens when we're stressed and how do we tell that others haven't quite um, moved on or, you know, still at a different phase? There's, there's those more acute symptoms that we can look out for and that's that, um, you know, 
we palpation of the heart, that rapid heartbeat, that flutter, that all, you know, all of a sudden that we get that fluttering of the heart um, and we can feel, I guess, the heat building from inside us and starting to, we're starting to expire. And so we start to sweat and we start, you know, our hands get sweaty palms and may sweat under the arms and uh, we start feeling uncomfortable, hot in the head. Uh, so, you know, people can flush and look like a reddish, pinkish colour. Um, so that's sort of the more acute response you have to stress. And, you know, some people may uh, respond that way um, at different times. Uh, certainly, maybe when they hear some news that it's not so good about a loved one or, um, you know, they've just lost their job. Uh, that may be one of the, you know, that acute reaction to that stress situation is, you know, how do I, you know, um, this news is not good and uh, the body goes into this um, stress response uh, and there's some of the symptoms of that stress response. Um, in terms of, you know, as that stress goes on, becomes, you know, moves on from acute to chronic, uh, you know, the chronic ones, you know, there's, I guess, the acute sort of covered up. They've learned to manage it or, you know, I guess, hide it or suppress it. Uh, and the chronic signs are, you know, those more signs of, you know, that person is withdrawing or the language they're using, the um, you know, lack of wanting to connect with others and um, not wanting to go outside. And uh, so, it's, you know, I guess a more drawn out phase of stress is when people are just not coping and they really become withdrawn because they don't know how to cope. Um, or the other way, some people, you know, rather than withdraw, they become very angry and aggressive. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's how they deal with the stress is they release it through anger. Uh, so... You know, you can certainly, you know, if people's behaviour has changed, that's one way you can tell that, hey, there's something going on, something not right. That person normally doesn't respond like that if I say a sort of off-the-cuff, smart-ass comment. Um, you know, they don't normally get angry at me or they don't normally um, blush or they don't normally, um, you know, fob me off and want to end the conversation. Uh, so they're the sort of things we want to look out for when interacting with people is, you know, there's, I guess, different, there's that acute response that I mentioned um, and then there's that more chronic withdrawal and change of behaviour um, and language you can, you know, pick up on certain language. They'll say certain things in certain ways that um, you generally get that inclination that something's just not right and generally if you get that inclination something's not right you, you're most likely right um, so yep. uh <laughs> that's um, absolutely true i think um what you said there that the acute versus the chronic something that's i suppose really relevant to say is that you know we're actually meant to experience acute stress aren't we like you know that yes. kind of initial response is actually not a bad thing so it's almost like our body's way of giving us some information that something's not right exactly it's, it's the chronic stuff isn't it that the chronic yes. underlying stress when we don't deal with the acute stress that can really drive those underlying health conditions that we see yes absolutely right yeah so that initial acute phase enables us to respond in that survival way of you know whether we need to get away quickly and run and and it enables us to do that um, by the heart pumping the blood faster to the muscles and 
um, and we, you know, very much tunnel vision. <laughs> so we're just looking at looking the other way and just focused on getting away that other way as quickly as possible. And um, yeah, so certainly, uh, and yeah, we just really kick into that survival mode. But the other thing, you know, that just you know, really before those really acute signs of stress come on, there's that U stress, which is a healthy stress, and that's that stress that. Think oh, I've got that deadline. I better do something about that, and it gets it motivates you. So, you know, there's a you know we call that you stress is the real helpful motivating one. It's just when it becomes uh, too much, um, and then it, we actually lose motivation because we're overwhelmed by the constant bombardment of I guess commitments or deadlines, and they're never ending, and we see no way out, and that's when you're starting to move into that more chronic phase, uh, which is, as you said, the unhealthy, really unhealthy um, stress. Yeah. When it comes to that unhealthy stress, what's the kind of like long-term health implications of having that long-term stress in our body, like not being able to sort of really cope and manage with it? Yeah, so it's very much a lot of those metabolic diseases. Uh, so we're, you know, seeing lots of or increased cases of obesity or overweight. Um, we're seeing more cases of uh, type two diabetes. Uh, stress really implicates a lot of chronic conditions. Uh, so autoimmune conditions. Uh, so where our immune systems no longer got great communication, and it, it turns on itself. It starts attacking the body. Uh, so, um, and then, you know, you're talking like sort of chronic fatigue and those sort of conditions, um, where the body's just worn out, it just, yeah, it can't, it can't put up with the stress anymore. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it hasn't done any maintenance. Uh, and obviously yeah, in when we're stressed, we're not doing that maintenance repair that the body needs to function well day in and day out. And so when we, as we know, when we delay that maintenance, the body is not repairing itself. There's only so long the body or a car can go <laughs> for before it breaks down. And essentially that's what happens with um, prolonged stress is, you know, it, it breaks down through chronic disease. And I mentioned some of those diseases, but, you know, you know, it can go all the way to, you know, cancer can be, um, you know, one of the predisposing factors can be chronic stress. Um, so, um, yeah, it certainly doesn't, you know, it leads down down a very yeah. unhealthy pathway if you know if we're not managing stress on a regular basis and that probably leads us into well, how do we manage our stress like obviously we've spoken about some of the maybe more negative connotations of stress and what happens but it's something that we can definitely deal with in our lives isn't it so how can we manage this yeah it's it's so important and it's one of the areas that I spend a lot of time with my clients is focusing on uh, helping them be more resilient to the life stresses you know there's some life stresses that are constantly there and not going to go away overnight so we need to be more adaptive and make ourselves more resilient so how do we go about you know improving our resilience to stress uh it's certainly we need to take a very multifactorial approach, which is what we often refer to as a holistic approach. Uh, so it's not just doing just one thing. It's, it's doing, I guess, a, a lot of things, you know, a range of things mm-hmm. on a regular basis. And I think that's a key point is 
it's not something you do once and then stop doing. It's something that you need to do consistently uh, and regularly. Well, I suppose the and thing so, that got you into that stress didn't just happen once. Generally, did it? Like when we're in a chronic state, it's generally the same, similar kind of things that have happened for a while. So to get us out absolutely. of it, we need to do the same in reverse, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, where do I start with this? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I'll take the lifestyle. I'll take with lifestyle and then probably finish on diet. Um, so in terms of lifestyle, you know, there's things we can do throughout our day that really help us release that pressure. So I, I talked about that person that, you know, where the pressure's building up and up and then all of a sudden you ask them a question and they just fire back and you think, whoa, where did that come from? And, mm-hmm. and that's just repeated stress building up and they haven't released that pressure. And so um, what I like to help my clients with is, you know, establishing a morning routine. Uh, so particularly with you know this current situation around isolation and change and you know our old routines just just gone to distant memory um is that one way in which we can get certainty uh back is by doing routines uh and you know setting up a good healthy routine in the morning is a fantastic way because in the morning we own that time uh you know our demands generally don't come till later on in the morning um, it depends if you've got children, it's a bit different, but um, um, we can really own that first part of the day and say, this, you know, I'm going to get up, I'm going to do something that I like doing. And so this is going to be different for everyone. But, you know, for people that like exercising, it's, you know, when you get out and exercise, uh, for those that more into a slower start to the day, don't want to, you know, they need a more gradual wake up, uh, they want to jump straight into exercise then, you know, it can be uh, doing a meditation, some breathing exercises. It can be essentially just having a ritual around, you know, putting the kettle on, um, getting the paper out, you know, if you like the physical paper or just pulling out a book that you just love reading and you can't stop reading, it's your time to read that book. But just having a cup of tea, reading that book, it's, it's really your time. And, you know, just and dedicating that part of the day uh, to what you want to do uh, and just continually doing it. And it's something you can look forward to no matter how stressful that day ends up. You know you've got your morning routine to look forward to the next day. It's always there for you. Um, So I certainly like people finding a morning routine that works for them. And then throughout the day, there's going to be stresses coming in. So there's going to be requests from family, friends, bosses, you know, all, all sorts of angles. We're going to have requests and demands of our time. And so some of them are going to be really stressful. So we do need to release this stress throughout the day. We can't just rely on, yeah, my morning routine, which comes around every 24 <laughs> hours. We need to be doing something throughout the day. Um, so I really like the uh, Pomodoro principle uh, because it helps those that, want to be very productive and achieve things and accomplish things but it also helps those that consider themselves procrastinators and can't get started so the pomodoro principle is set it's chunking things down into 25 minute bite-sized pieces so you got your to-do list put your most difficult item or the one that you don't want to do at the top and the first 25 minutes of that day 
is working on that and that's all you're working on you've got everything turned off you've got your phone your computer there's nothing there's no emails nothing it's the first thing you're picking up your first thing you're looking at and you're going to go hard into that for 25 minutes without interruptions uh, knowing that after the 25 minutes you've got five minutes of break right so you just focus for 25 and then you know that okay I can maybe check in on an email or check in on see if I've got any messages and you know if that, if that really if you are that sort of anxious person that needs to be can't keep your finger off the pulse then this is a, one way of doing it it's just you've got this five minutes to do that but I actually don't suggest you do that in that five minutes what I suggest you do in the five minutes is find something that's going to release this pressure because uh, um, that will make, make the next 25 minutes really productive. So in that five minutes, it's getting up off your seat and moving around. You know, maybe if you can walk out onto your balcony, walk outside, get some sunlight, just really take, take in the environment, the focus on a bird or um, just really disconnecting of, on what you're just doing because uh, it could have been very stressful. Uh, you might have been doing your budget or whatever. <laughs> and it might not be such a nice task and, or it might have been a real heated conversation for 25 minutes. Um, that five minutes is time to discharge and then be able to get enough energy back so you can really you know, focus on the next 25. And so some of those things you can do in the five minutes are, I mentioned earlier, you know, meditation. You can do a one-minute meditation. Um, you can do one minute of breathing exercises. Uh, you can just go and make yourself a cup of coffee and, um, or, you know, a cup of tea uh, or get your drink or, um, yeah, but it's just doing something that's going to relieve, relieve some of that pressure um, and then so that you can refocus. And, and if you do that throughout the day, you've got that pressure relief in the middle of those five minutes. So you're constantly, you know, every, every hour, You've got you know at least ten minutes of um, rest and restoration, uh, and that will make you really productive. You'll find that you'll get more done in the day, and at the end of the day, you'll be more level-headed. You won't have all this pent-up, built-up stress, and you won't be going home and releasing it on a loved one, or taking it out on someone, or or just so worked up that you need alcohol and you need not just one drink, two drinks, three drinks, four drinks, because you need to start letting all this pressure out. So it's actually a really resourceful way of managing your stress throughout the day by, you know, implementing this Pomodoro. If you Google it, you'll, you'll find out more about it. But um, I just find it very useful, particularly for procrastinators, particularly for people that hate taking on hard tasks and avoid hard tasks. Um, and I find even for those type A people that are very productive who want to get more productive, this is a great way of getting more productive. Yeah, that sounds like a great one. And I, as a personally self-confessed procrastinator, but also type A, like I definitely swing between <laughs> both of them. <laughs> um, I really like that. I am going to try. I normally sit down for 50 minutes and then get up after 50, but I am going to try that in 25 minutes. Yeah, I think you can kind of bust a fair bit out, get up, sort of move that energy around. It would, it kind of resets you, doesn't it? Like not even from a stress point of view, but just from an energetic point of view. I think that's fantastic. Well, and you'll find at the end, like, like at 50 minutes, yes, you, you can be quite productive, 
but you'll find there's a period there that you do start wavering and thinking of other things. And so mm-hmm. you really get off that task. And I think that 25 minutes is just enough time to only think of that task and not get distracted knowing that you're going to have five minutes. And, you know, I've been doing homeschooling with the kids and it really works well with the children. So anyone that have kids out there, you can get them to work in 25. They're quite, they can generally concentrate for around, I mean, they start waving, they start looking at the clock before 25, but, um, but it, it does help them focus for at least 25, knowing that they can then do something they want to do for that five minutes. And so it can help motivate children to get their um, schoolwork done whilst they're doing homeschool. I think that's great because you suck, you sit with me in my kitchen sometimes when I'm doing work and yeah definitely get distracted before my 50 minutes <laughs> so I'll definitely be trying the 25 minute well one. you do you'll find in that 50 minutes you're going in checking emails checking your Facebook message you know like you, you, you will in that 55 minutes it's very hard yep. to remain very focused for you know long periods um, yeah unless you train to do that like you know certain athletes and certain people are really you know have that level of focus for long periods yeah, but even still, I suppose yes. athletes when they're training still get to stop for water breaks they or do. like have a little yeah. bit of a change in focus, don't they? So it's very similar style to do it in. The well, it's like minutes. you know, even even in Test match cricket, they they've got the break between the balls. The ball's bowled, and mm-hmm. then when the bowler you know needs to go back and get his run up, you know that's the time they've got to reset. So they're you know, they are having those breaks and working in those increments and, you know, often those um, great batsmen will say, you know, well, how did I score 300? I just focused on each delivery and that's all I focused on, that yeah. next ball. <laughs> and that, that was all. Um, so, yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that one. And is there anything particular we can do, like, at the end of our day to maybe, obviously... Absolutely. We shouldn't be as yeah. stressed if we've released during the day but there's sometimes I know myself you can you know as the world quietens down your brain starts <laughs> ticking over is there anything we can do at the end of the day to help us dress yeah no it's a it's a great one uh, I forgot to cover it <laughs> because oh, that's because I, I interrupted yeah. with the 25 minutes it was great <laughs> um, the um <laughs> You have an anchor at the end of the day. So as I mentioned at the start of the day, your anchor is your routine, you own it. You generally don't get demands in that early part of the day, so make that your time. In the evening, you can also get that anchor, get that certainty back. And uh, it's really important to have a nighttime routine. So we're creatures of habit. Our body loves working in... Well, it does. It works around the circadian rhythm. So... Uh, which is its clock. Uh, that's the night-day cycle. So, you know, our cells will perf- perform daytime activities during the day and then nighttime activities during the night. And that's how, you know, we get by and we uh, live. Um, and so what we need to do is help the body uh, to get into this rhythm. And once you're in this rhythm, it's really easy. Life becomes so much easier. It's like children, actually, when you get children in a routine they become a lot easier to manage once they're out of routine they're ratty and you know it's chaotic so um, we need to just as we insist that children have a routine adults we need to have a routine so what you're saying is we're big kids <laughs> yeah we are big kids and, and i often tell you know like uh, 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 well, I'm educating, I'm not telling, I'm explaining why the, the importance of having the routine in the evening. Um, 
because you know, I, often people people come to me and say, "I'm so tired. I, you know, I just get bad sleep, and it just compounds and compounds." Um, it's because they have this no. There's no routine in the evening. It's just all. It's just Netflix, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's how many episodes can I, can I finish the whole series in uh, in, in one go? And anyway, um, so this is about. It, it requires discipline, uh, and it's doing the same thing at the same time every night, you know, like having dinner at the same time, uh, hopefully with someone, hopefully connected, relaxed environment, uh, enjoying it with, yeah, um, and really eating slowly like we traditionally would, not sort of grabbing takeaway or and eating it in front of the TV where we're eating mindlessly. Uh, It's becoming, you know, the, the mindfulness, the routine starts with dinner. So it's engaging with the dinner. It's letting go of the day. It's embracing conversation. It's really engaging with the food you're eating, enjoying it, enjoying the meal. Uh, you'll certainly find that you'll eat less over that meal and you'll enjoy it a whole lot more. And you'll digest it so much better. Uh, mm-hmm. So um really helps those people that experience a lot of bloating is just slow down. <laughs> slow down yep. in terms of eating. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, after dinner, it's not reconnecting with activities. You know, if you were doing the Pomodoro principle and got very productive during the day, you shouldn't have any work to do at the end of the day. Um, so it's after dinner, it's really your time again. It's, you know, doing something that you enjoy, relaxing. Uh, so, you know, it could be watching a sitcom and you know, having a laugh. It could just be bringing up a friend that makes you laugh all the time or someone you love talking to that's very optimistic and fun. And, um, yeah, so just whether it be calling someone, watching a show that makes you laugh, but something light and enjoyable, something relaxing. Certainly don't want to be watching intensive documentaries or, you know, reading something that you have to think a lot. It's where you want to give the mind rest. This is where the mind starts repairing it then it starts actually remembering what you need to remember as opposed to, you know, all these people that have this short-term memory loss it's because they're constantly wired. <laughs> yep. um, so, you know, if you want to improve your memory, you need to rest the brain, <laughs> allow it to establish stronger connections and um, be able to sort its filing system out. And anyway, um, so, yeah, after dinner, relax, do something you like. I often suggest people start turning off electronic devices around 8 p.m. Uh, why 8? I'll get to that a bit sooner. Well, not too far away, but um, around 8 p.m., start dimming lights. So uh, that's basically turning off the fluorescent lights, the white lighting, the blue lighting. Um, if you need to look at a screen, you know, put it in night mode. Uh, but really disconnecting with artificial light and connecting with natural light. Uh, so open the blinds, allow the moonlight to come in. Um, and making it, it's generally at a darkness where you can still see, you can still get around fine. Uh, you're not tripping over, so it's not pitch dark. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's low enough so that the body starts thinking, oh, bit darker now i need to start thinking about doing nighttime things and that's when you you know the body starts making melatonin which is our sleep hormone so hence why i say start at eight because you can then build enough melatonin so you fall asleep at 10 p.m <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the magic number around yep. at 10 p.m um so yep start dimming the lights if you struggle with knowing what the lighting should be you can download a app called light 
uh, no, Lux, Lux meter, L-U-X meter. And it's on your app and then you just press the button and it just measures the amount of light intensity. Uh, so under 100 lux is what you want the room. And as I said, that under 100 lux is not tripping over and can't see and blind. It's, uh, it's actually quite easy to get around and you can still do things. And um, so that really helps the body start doing nighttime things, which is making sleep hormones. And... Then you want to be doing uh, maybe, you know, reading with a lamp, you know, that sort of warm lighting, uh, lighting a candle, uh, having a romantic conversation <laughs> um, <laughs> or just engaging in that candle, you know, lighting a candle is very therapeutic in itself, just watching that flame flicker and burn and uh, just connecting with that flame. You can actually do a meditation over a candle if you really want to. Um, uh, you can do a meditation, you can do some breathing exercises, uh, you can have a warm bath with some Epsom salts, put some essential oils in, turn on the music that relaxes you. So it could be, it's whatever relaxes you. For me, mm -hmm. it's nature sounds, it's waves breaking, it's waterfalls and all that. Um, it's all everything nature. So I have the music playing, I've got dim lighting, I have my shower. Um, after my shower, I start rolling the muscles and relaxing them. So you can do some stretching, light stretching. So what that is doing is telling the muscles to relax and that sends a signal to the brain is, hey, they don't need to be tense. They don't need to be working. They don't need to be getting away from the tiger anymore. My mind can start relaxing. Um, yeah. So you start sending all these subtle cues like it's getting dark, start doing nighttime function cells, muscles just relax <laughs> it sends all these cues to the mind to start relaxing and then uh to top it off you start journaling your thoughts because as you start this process you'll have heaps of things going around in your mind oh, i didn't call this person back oh i didn't do this oh, all this stuff you didn't do and all the stuff you need to do tomorrow and um so start just writing it down putting it, putting it down and onto a notepad and that whole act of writing it down just gets it out of the mind and onto that bit of paper that you know you'll deal with next day when you're productive again uh and then at the end of that noting down you can also note down any feelings you know if there's feelings of you know if you're feeling something put it down acknowledge that feeling it's important that you acknowledge that feeling whether it be good or bad just write it down acknowledge it um and then at the, after that Think about things to be grateful for. So just look back, reflect on your day, think about something that was really um, just nice that happened, some, someone's kindness, someone's generosity, some announcement the government made that helped you or, or you know, your boss did something for you or someone helped you in the street or whatever it may be it's just looking back and reflecting on those good moments of the day or you might have you might have accomplished something so it's reflecting and and patting yourself on the back for that accomplishment but you know finishing with a bit of gratitude journal really again it reinforces to the body that everything's okay um you know i've got an appreciation for life and for all the great things that are happening there's a lot of great happening i don't need to there's nothing to be stressed about at this moment so that is, I guess, gives you some practical ways in which you can incorporate elements of that to form your own nightly routine. So hopefully that was helpful. Yeah, they were great yeah. suggestions. And a lot of wide variety ones too, which is good. So, yeah, depending on 
different people and what they like, but also like I know I find some nights I just, I actually want to do different things. So I might have sort of like a rough outline to my routine, but you know, some days I might want to indulge in some <laughs> trashy Netflix um, <laughs> in that afternoon. And other times I want to read and uh, it is very much about tuning in and just doing what feels good at the time, isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, uh, everyone's different. Everyone gets um, switched on and off through different stimulus. And so it's obviously just working out what stimulus can switch you off. And, and it could be just watching some, a series of Netflix that's just lighthearted and makes you laugh. And that, that, that's, that works for you. Uh, everyone's different. So, you know, what I was saying may work for someone, but it may not work for another. And it, I guess the most important takeaways is just be consistent with that routine around the timing. You know, make sure you get to bed at the same time every night. You know, whether it be 10 or 11, doesn't matter. It's, it's what works for you or, you know, you know, some people are more of a night owl. Um, but it's just being consistent at that time of going to bed uh, and then therefore the, your wait time will be very consistent as well and you're just keeping that clock and your, your body just um, embraces it. And so it knows from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., needs to repair and so it just gets into a cycle that it will start doing things that it needs to do at those hours because you've trained it to um uh so i think just more consistency around that routine and yes you can have your blowout every now and then but you'll certainly i think you'll then appreciate your routine more because you realize how how hard it is to recover from that blowout yeah. <laughs> in terms of, you know that 3 a.m out all night you know, yeah, i think that's an age out. thing as well isn't it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and I'm conscious of time because we are almost coming up to the hour, but I do, um, want you to touch on maybe some like diet nutrition style things that we should and shouldn't do that may help with our stress. Certainly. Um, so, uh, with stress in order to be, you know, I mentioned this resilience and more adaptive to it, you certainly want the body to be performing well optimally and you know if 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 it's opting well it can better um better cope with what's been thrown at it and so uh you know for me it's having very much a a predominantly alkaline diet and so what do i mean by alkaline it's lots of plant-based foods uh so you know you're probably looking at least two-thirds of the plate of plant-based and a lot of that being vegetables um, and variety. Uh, So certainly lots of variety with vegetables, um, lots of variety with plant-based foods. And yes, you know, maybe a third or slightly less of a third, you know, your bit of meat or a bit of... um, fish um it could be legumes for those that are vegetarian or you know legumes nuts and seeds uh, if you're vegetarian vegan Uh, so yeah aiming for that sort of two-thirds very much more alkaline being plant-based one-third uh you know if you need to have your meat or you love your meat or your fish uh and yeah, just making sure you really focus more on it's very easy to have the meat you know we live in a very um you know, in a society that is rich and abundant in animal products. So it's more draw your focus to how can I increase more fruit and vegetables into my diet, and in particularly vegetables. I think we don't really have too much of a challenge with fruit, but it's more the vegetable side of things. How 
how can I do that? You know, and it's basically going to the supermarket, just shopping and grabbing a lot of fresh fresh produce and lots of colour. It's really important, lots of colour in the vegetables. Um, I often challenge my clients as, you know, as you mentioned, you like a bit of variety in the evening routine and I think, you know, it's great to have a bit of variety in eating as well. And I often find if you go and buy those veggie boxes, um, because you've got no control of what they put in it, (laughs) you just, you you know, you open it up and think, oh, okay, what's that? Um, What do I do with that? And it does, but it, it engages you with your food. For first of all, you pick it up, you need to research what it is, and you think, okay, I found out what it is, now what do I do with it? How do I cook it? it? It actually makes you more engaged with your food, and so I often recommend that as a way in which getting really connected with food, getting connected with fresh food, and just playing with it, having some fun with it, and you know, engaging your family, engaging your children, and making it a, a fun affair uh, as opposed to a chore. Uh, just yeah, embracing it, trying different spices and flavors, and yeah, just I, I think, and I think this sort of time that we're in is really good to embrace that newness uh, because we're at home. Some of us, you know, probably don't have a lot on, uh, and it's a great time to really start learning to cook and you know, googling uh, YouTube of how to cook certain things and having some fun. Yeah, that sounds great. I like the um, idea of the very plant-based too because that's where I suppose all those vitamins and minerals come from. Anyone who knows me knows I am literally always banging on about eating at least five servings of veggies a day. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm glad you backed me yeah. up there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's the minimum. Um, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, more the merrier. Yeah. Well, I'm just about to head into our final questions, but before I do that, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, probably uh, my Facebook page is the best place to go. Uh, I think most people on Facebook. So uh, just, yeah, if you're on Facebook, then it's my tag is me and my wellness, all one word com.au is my uh, Facebook tag and it's also my web address. <laughs> so, yeah, web address. Um, my web address has got my phone number on it uh, as well as my um, email. So, yeah, you, in, you can mess- message me via Facebook or, yeah, they're probably the two best platforms to catch me on. Yeah, nice. So if anyone wants to dive more into any of this stress-busting stuff, but realistically anything to do with nutrition in general, please check out Anthony over there. I know he's doing a great video series at the moment and there's heaps of content on his Facebook page. So yeah, you want to know anything about stress, mindfulness. I was lucky enough to do a little guest spot on the gut recently. I know there's been some things on disordered eating. So yeah, jump over there. He's got a wealth of free content. Okay. So let's dive into these final questions. How do you sustain, strengthen and nurture your life? It's probably very much what I've said today. I embrace what I so-called well, preach if I was preaching. Um, um, so, I, yeah, I, I walk the talk and I do that nightly routine. I have a morning routine and I do the Pomodoro principle. So I guess everything I've recommended is what I do on a regular basis. Uh, do I do 
you know, I regularly exercise is every day I do something around exercise and I do a variety of exercise. So whether it be uh, stretching, uh, resistance training, cardiovascular, so I'll always do that variety. Um, and yeah, so I just, I guess I, I walk the talk essentially. So yeah, I've talked a lot about it today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like all of the above. <laughs> yes. All of the above essentially. Yeah. Nice. And most importantly, um, what are you currently doing in your life that's allowing you to find your hum? I just really connected with my intuition. Um, I guess the message that was being told to me ever since I was a kid uh, and it was embracing my passion for health and wellness. So I, yeah, by list, finally listening to it, I mean, I listened to it late in life, um, that being my mid-30s, uh, but really engaging with your intuition, uh, listening to it and just following it. And, you know, I think I've, too often we get stuck in our minds because we're very much trained as thinkers through school and think and think and think. And um, we lose that connection to our heart and our soul. And I, that's an area that we need to work on. And I, I personally discovered that through you know self-development books and doing self-development courses and so that was a journey I went on separately to um, I guess my career and uh, yeah so that's that that really helped me so I, I certainly um, continue to do that I can, can continually do self-development and learning more about myself and challenging myself so I'm always you know looking to how can I next do another little step out of my comfort zone. So, mm-hmm. you know, little challenges, you know, uh, stepping out of that comfort zone on a regular basis and, and challenging myself and just growing as a human. Oh, that's great. And can I just say, I'm glad that you did find this because it definitely makes you hum. You can hear like your passion is absolutely infectious for stuff like this. You can hear it light you up when you talk about it, which is absolutely lovely to hear. Ah, that's great feedback. So uh, thanks, uh, Kirsty. Really All appreciate right. the feedback. So thank you very much for imparting your wisdom on us today. It was very comprehensive. We got to dive deep into some of the things that are causing our stress at the moment. And I think it's very relevant for people to understand that like some of this stuff is definitely quite normal, but really bringing it back to some very simple, practical touch points that we can find during the day just to stop and, like you said, release that pressure valve, I think has been amazing, but also sharing the details of your life too. So I hope that other people have been able to get something from this to find a life that helps make them hum. Thanks so much, Kirsty, and um, yeah, thank you, uh, viewers, for tuning in and um, listening to my story. And yeah, uh, really appreciate the opportunity, Kirsty. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Cheers for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Hum. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, and tell your mates about it. <laughs>